0: You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents Network of Podcasts. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and with me today is Allison Galen, the author of the Edgar-nominated thriller *Hide Your Eyes*, as well as its sequel *You Kill Me*, and the standalones *Trashed* and *Heartless*, and the Brenna Spector series *And She Was*, *Into the Dark*, and *Stay with Me*. A graduate of Northwestern University and Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism. Allison lives with her husband and daughter in upstate New York, and she joins us today to talk about What Remains of Me, a new book on sale February 23rd from William Morrow Books. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. So Laura Lippmann, New York Times best-selling author, said this about What Remains of Me. What Remains of Me is an elegantly constructed thriller that earns every you-never-saw-it-coming twist. And Kelly Michelle Lund, the true mystery here, charismatic and unknowable, may be Alison Galen's greatest creation to date. You'll stay up late to read it, then hound your friends to follow suit so you can stay up late to talk about it. So I hounded my sister already for her to please read this book so that we can talk about it. I, I, it was such a great book, and I'm just going to read a brief description. We've talked about how there's there's a lot that we can't say, but we want to set it up. Great. So the basic story is that on June 28, 1980, a 17-year-old girl named Kelly Michelle Lund shot and killed Oscar-nominated director John McFadden at a party in his multimillion-dollar home in the Hollywood Hills. And the crime became an instant media sensation. And throughout her arrest and trial, there was a lot of speculation over what her motives was. But she, was, she kept everything close to the vest. And then 30 years later after her conviction, and five years later after her release from prison, her father-in-law, who's also a uh, he's a film legend by the name of Sterling Marshall, he's murdered. And now she is under suspicion yet again. And I've read that you said that you wanted to tell the story of how a life can be shaped by public perception, where image is everything in the most glamorous industry. Mm-hmm. So, so what made you want to to set the book? you know, in the film industry and in, in, in Hollywood?
1: Well, it's I grew up in the Southern California area, and I've also spent a lot of time as an entertainment journalist. Um, I've written for everything from, you know, some of the trade publications. Um, I've been a uh, film and theater critic for, you know, smaller sort of newspapers. And then I've also written for some of the gossip rags. Um, so I've been around that world uh, quite frequently. And, and it's interesting to me, um, Hollywood is such a unique town, because the main industry there is fiction, basically. It's sort of telling yeah. lies, it's telling stories, it's, you know, fiction sort of in the air, like smog, in a way. And so um, that the setting is really ripe for, um, you know, this, this type of story, something can go really wonderfully... Beyond your wildest dreams, well, or it can go very, very, very wrong, um, and the press itself can be one of the most unreliable narrators there yes, is. Right? You so, say that, that it's a. You say that it's a book full of unreliable narrators. Yes. And one of them is the press. Yes, I have lots of uh, sort of fictional press uh, clippings right, that so I've you've loved writing. Yeah, you, <laughs> so,
0: but what you so also to note is that the book moves back and forth in time from 1980, mm-hmm. sort of to the events leading up to the first murder, where Kelly starts off as this sort of very innocent, you know, girl with no friends, sort of fish out of water in her high school. And then she befriends... One girl in the completely different set, and then you know events just sort of go from there. So, so tell us a little bit about sort of the Kelly of of the 1980s, what you can.
1: Yeah, she is. She lost her twin sister, um, I think, two years before uh, the the events of the book start, and that kind of she was the quiet one. She was the, the right. you know, her sister was sort of the the fiery, you know, dramatic one. And, and she lost her under sort of mysterious circumstances. Um, and she's left alone. She's like more alone than, than any person ever could be. And she's sort of suffering through high school, which is hard enough. Uh, and she, this really glamorous girl, Bellamy Marshall, sort of looks her way and befriends her, and it changes her whole life. It's the best thing that ever happened to her. Her mother doesn't approve of this at all. Not at all, because you, you mentioned it's a story of fiction, and the mother is entirely
0: suspicious and wary of, of this whole of this whole world.
1: Yes, to the point of where, you know, Kelly needs to make a choice. Does she want to become a part of this world, or does she want to reject it and, and be sort of the lonely person she was before? So it's very, very seductive, this friendship with Bellamy and, and the whole world that she introduces her to, and, and that's sort of the, you know, that's sort of what changes her. That's where things sort of start to go well for her and then start to go wrong for her. So right.
0: and so what you do is you you go between 1980 and 2010 and you also sort of cut in, you know, news accounts, everything from TMZ to the Los Angeles Times to BuzzFeed, you know, the actual article with and comments, comments yeah. you know, which is it was just really interesting. And I think that um you capture, you know, you capture the 1980s so well. One of the things that you you talk about um, throughout the book is the Hollywood sign so mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about you know sort of what that symbolizes for you and within this book
1: well um, I remember I actually mentioned in the book that you know it, the Hollywood sign was rebuilt um, in 1979 78 around there and before that it was just crumbling into the hills and I remember growing up there and driving by it and it was just an eyesore it was horrifying and um, there were there was this huge effort to raise money to to rebuild the sign, and, and I actually remember that Alice Cooper donated one of the O's in his name and was Alice Cooper for a year, and it was just so strange, but uh, it was interesting to me how many people sort of rallied behind it, and to me that sign is just so symbolic.
0: You were a graduate of Columbia University's School of Journalism. Is it true that you wrote your master's thesis on murder- murderously obsessed fans? Yes,
1: I did. So I've always been interested in sort of pop culture meets murder. Uh, always, it's yeah, just it's, a, a thing in my psyche. I think. So has
0: this book been in your? Has this book been in your mind forever? How long has it been in your mind?
1: It's you know what it's been in my mind for a long time, and I've written two other books um, that were set in Hollywood, but this is the Hollywood book I've always wanted to write. I've long really loved true crime books and yeah. one of one of the books uh, I read the first true crime book I ever read was when I was 10 years old and I read Helter Skelter and You read Helter Skelter at, at 10. Age 10. Yeah. I thought it was going to be about the Beatles. So <laughs> I picked it up and it wasn't about the Beatles but the thing that fascinated me and stayed with me is just lifting up that rock that beautiful glittery rock of Hollywood and seeing all this horror, you know, kind of crawling underneath and that just fascinated me and stayed with me and another influence a little little later on, I think I discovered Hollywood Babylon, which, Mm -hmm. you know, um, some of those stories are true, some aren't, but it's, it's, again, it's the, the ugliness beneath the, the surface, and it's, and, and sort of the extremes that just fascinates me. Now, going back to,
0: you know, sort of being haunted by previous crimes, you've got a detective Mm -hmm. who, who is young enough that he remembers when the original murder took place and 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 she haunted him, you, you yes, know, your protagonist actually haunted him,
1: yes, he had nightmares about her as a child, and he's definitely scared of her uh, when he goes to talk to her only because of this image that's built been built up she was she was a scared young girl after this after she was sentenced but she happened to smile outside oh, yeah, the courthouse. Yeah, that's important. So she stops, and, they,
0: and there's a picture of her with what they later describe as the Mona Lisa smile, right? Mm-hmm. So she's going in, they capture that, and that becomes the image Yes. That's locked. The
1: Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa death smile, yes. As
0: often happens mm-hmm. in these trials, right? It's sort of the, the public image is created almost immediately, and, and you can't get past it. In fact, you even say, it is she. The, the character says, It isn't what you do that makes you lose people. It's what they think you've done.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's sort of who people think you are versus who you really are and what is more important and what is more important in this world, you see. So it's... And can you remember the other quote? I thought I wrote it down, which was,
0: um, he he's able to tell a good story so he
1: thinks that makes him good makes him a good person about the d- director yes exactly um yes uh, i think you know there is that perception um there there is that sort of perce- usually people tend to say this about movie heroes there's the surface and there's the image that they present to the world which is larger than life i mean very few people even the nicest person in the world could live up to this this image and then there's the reality which is often different quite different different and more fascinating yep. you know but different yes so um so there is that perception somebody you know can tell a can tell a good story a moral story a movie you know they can write and a movie we that moves associate people that with them yep. yeah exactly. exactly
0: now here's a question when you were writing did you envision Actors in the roles that you were writing,
1: Kelly Lund. Her her father-in-law. This is odd because this is not a current you know actress who would play her because she's a lot older. It doesn't have to be. But her her father, um, uh, Jimmy, keeps he's kind yes. of senile and, and he keeps calling her Sandra because he thinks she's Sandra Locke. and and that's sort of who oh, I yeah, was. Envisioning. It can be any
0: generation. Yeah,
1: you, I was envisioning somebody that. who looked like that. Kind of that that sort of. Brill and, and sinewy so at the same time, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, because I wanted to, I wanted to
0: like go through a few characters, mm-hmm. give you their names, and then you give us a one sentence description of who they are in the book, and then who you might have had in your mind's eye. Can you do that?
1: Oh, sure. Okay, yeah. cool. Yes.
0: <laughs> Put me on the spot here. Okay, because <laughs> okay. it'd be fun. Because I, I, have to imagine that you, you did, that. and it
1: doesn't have to be contemporary. It can be anybody you want. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Kelly Lund. She physically changed in my mind as I um, as I wrote it. I, I envisioned her... Okay, so when she's... But when she's younger, I would definitely think... And my husband said the same thing. Um, maybe Sissy Spacek. Perfect. Y- you know? Yep. Yep. Um, and then, you know, as an adult, I, I guess I would say somebody like... I don't know. My husband thought Julianne Moore could play her. <laughs> which yep. is fine, because she's my favorite actress. So All else. right, and her sister <laughs> Catherine Lund. Okay, Catherine... Um, is definitely, I mean, I picture her blonde like Kelly, but definitely more, um, glamorous looking, and And she's the sister who really wanted to become a successful
0: actress and who sort of, again, died under the mysterious circumstances and kind of had this wild side to her that was evident, you know, before she died. Exactly.
1: So, right. So she, and she definitely looked more kind of mature for her age, even though she was like 15 or 14. There was this very disturbing publication that came out in the in the 70s called Star magazine. It's not Star the tabloid. It's called it's Star and it's all about groupies. And they have like pictures of these groupies that are like 15 years old, but they look like they're 25. Yeah. And that's who I was picturing in Got my mind. Yeah. Somebody like that. There's a there's a groupie named I think her name was Sta- Sable Star or something like yeah. that and I you've seen her in the news because I think she hung out with people like Bowie and, you know, Got people it. like that. Yeah. And she had this look to her that I mean, if you took off all the makeup, she probably looked like a little right. girl, but she had that kind of, gla- that hard glamour yeah, to her. Yeah, got it. Yeah. All right, so Bellamy Marshall. Bellamy Marshall is, okay, so I picture her being, um, you know, darker haired and, and um, <laughs> it's so funny talking about this. Um, for the young Bellamy Marshall, I don't know, probably somebody along the lines of a Kristen Stewart type of mm, a yes. person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about Shane Marshall? Tell,
0: first tell us who, sort of roughly who he is. And-
1: mm-hmm. Shane Marshall is Bellamy's younger brother. And so when he, when they, when all of this was going on, when this friendship happened and everything went terribly wrong, he was a 10-year-old kid. They were 17 and he was 10. And he was just this annoying little boy that would be hanging around all the time. This Just this skinny little kid, you know. And then in the present day, he is... Um, Kelly's husband <laughs> so they've made a friendship while um, while she was incarcerated incarcerated and and he was sort of the only one who stuck by her right. and they have this interesting relationship that's probably more close friends than marriage And but to her he's a way to sort of connect back to Bellamy who yeah. she doesn't talk to anymore and right. um, and pick, playing him I just picture as kind of a guy maybe like a a young, like slightly younger, like a Mark Ruffalo kind mm-hmm. of guy, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, just sure. sort of Average, sweet. dependable. Yeah, kind of sweet, like you like him, you know. Yeah. So now tell us, what do you what do you prefer to do? Do you like to write
0: standalones, or do you like to write as part of your series?
1: I really like doing both. Um, the series has been really fun and interesting for me to write, the Brenna Spector series, since it's a character with perfect memory, and, you know, it's, it's just sort of, epitomizes for me the haunted detective because she literally is haunted by her own past. Yeah. Um, that's really fun for me to write and I have a gr- little group of characters that I know who they are with each book. Um, a standalone is more ex- a little more exciting because you have this whole canvas full of people and you could kill them all off if you want yeah, to. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's kind of it's kind of thrilling to just set off into uncharted territory, which writing a standalone is. Mm -hmm. So I really like both. I think, um, I think both definitely have their benefits, uh, as far as writing. And who are your first, who's your first reader? My, my very, my very first reader is my husband. Mm -hmm. Um, he is a former screenwriter and, uh, he's very good with, um, you know, he, he he likes and he also likes reading suspense and thrillers and things like that um and he's really good with structure and he'll sort of give me a good first impression and then my editor of course there you go <laughs> and um
0: uh what was the last book that you had a conversation about and what did you talk about?
1: Oh, interesting. Well, the last book I had a conversation about was this new Sharon Tate biography by Ed Sanders, because I interviewed him for the Woodstock Times. And it's Such an interesting book. Ed Sanders is kind of a a legend. He was one of the founding members of the Fugs, which was a a countercultural sort of satiric rock band back in the 60s, and he's had this just really varied career. He also wrote the book The Family, which was the other sort of seminal book about the Manson family back in 71, and spent a lot of time with them. And he's like this just really interesting guy, and he was really fun to talk to, he is a huge collector of memorabilia. He has more than 500 banker's boxes full of sort of magazines and newspapers. So it's incredibly well-researched. But when he would um, relate these anecdotes, you know, which we would get from various sources, um, he would tell maybe three different versions of every anecdote. So it kind of plays with your notion of reality when you're reading it. You feel like the, the truth is somewhere in all these different anecdotes. It's and interesting. Very interesting. My last question
0: is, were you to be banished to a desert island Mm. and you were allowed to take
1: three books? Three books. Which would you take? Oh, my gosh. Okay. That's a good question. Um, I would say, okay, this is going to sound pretentious, but I really love this book, Of Human Bondage. It's really one of my favorite books. I love it. Um, uh, The Executioner's Song. And let me see. What is the other? Oh, and Hundred Years of Solitude.
0: Perfect. Okay. <laughs> well, Allison Galen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank, and thank you. Thank you very much for What Remains of Me. And I will tell all my friends about it. And you all can buy it wherever print books, ebooks, and audiobooks are sold. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I'm Anna Maria Alessi. And this episode was edited by Sharon Matlin with production help. From Jennifer Monroe. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from leading figures across books, culture, and the arts, all brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.